0: It's Monday night, and we're on for a special time of Graph Policy Radio, the show that mixes comics and politics. This is a show for folks who hear deplorables and immediately think D-list villains for the West Coast Avengers. Uh, tonight, we've got a guest. <laughs> a little delayed laugh, but we got it. All right. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. Tonight, we've, we've got a first-time guest, someone we've wanted on the show uh, for a little while. But before I introduce her, let me introduce my co-host, Alana. How you doing?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm great. I'll take my one minute just to say that if you live in New York State, you have a primary election tomorrow. And by tomorrow, I mean September 13th. Um, but I also just wanted to say that I'm ecstatic to have Chelsea Kane on the show. I, I love the comic. I know Brett's a big fan, too. Um, so let's, let's have her get ready to join us. Um, do you want to do the quick bio, Brett?
0: Yeah, so Chelsea Kane is a novelist who moonlights as a comic book writer for an awesome series called Mockingbird for Marvel. She's author of uh, New York Times bestselling uh, Archie Sheridan Gretchen Lowe thriller series, uh, as well as One Kick starring Nick Lanigan. Uh, her Portland-based thriller, described by the New York Times as steamy and perverse, uh, has been published in Yay. over 30 languages. <laughs> recommended on today's show yeah. appeared in episodes of HBO's True Blood and ABC's Castle both of Kane's thriller series are in development as TV shows Stephen King included two of her books in his top 10 favorite uh, books of the year and NPR named Heartsick one of the best 100 thrillers ever written in other words a lot of awesome books uh, Kane has also written Jessica Stor- Jones story for Civil War Choosing Sides and a story for the Hellboy Winter Special welcome to the show Chelsea Kane how you doing
2: I'm okay. How are you guys
1: doing?
0: Great, great. You know we're yeah.
2: listening to you guys. Right. We're going
0: to
1: We're going like...
2: to talk for an hour.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I'm oh, nervous. So much to talk I feel about. like
2: it's a lot gonna... of pressure. I'm not sure I can be entertaining for more than forty minutes tops.
1: Okay. Well, we're going to we're going <laughs> to test that through science. If there's one thing that I've All learned right. through reading Mockingbird, <laughs> it's the importance of the scientific method. Um, um good. I'm okay, Good. I do want to read something from the back of the very first issue. Um, For folks who don't know, Mockingbird is Bobby Morris, who is a longtime Marvel Comics hero, um, who's a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent at present. Um, And this is her first solo series, actually. Um, Mm -hmm. she's had a team-up series with Hawkeye, who was originally – she was created as a female – female love interest counterpart a million years ago but this is her first solo book but in the beginning of it you wrote an awesome mission statement in your opening letter and you wrote the following i promise this i promise science i promise math i promise competence and confidence i promise a bobby who is the smartest person in the room and capable of taking down everyone in it i promise barbed wit and droll punchlines i promise lance hunter and clint barton shirtless And may I say, you've (laughs) delivered on all of these promises and much, much more. Especially that last one. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So, um, you know, you're someone who's done a ton of writing of fiction, obviously, with a big, 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 big resume on that. Um, What got you interested in writing comic books?
2: You know, I fell into this group of friends who all write comics, Um, my husband and I. My husband is a long-time, like, uh, comic collector um, and like, I, I would describe myself as a comic enthusiast. Like I, I love comics and I get very in, into certain titles, um, certain issues, certain writers, but, um, like I will read a comic and then not like re and board it, you know, <laughs> where's uh-huh. my husband? <laughs> we'll read a comic, like it's, it, he takes very good care of his comics. He has thousands and thousands of comics all in a database that he maintains, um, Whereas I'm, I guess, a more casual reader in the sense that I really get into a certain thing um, and will read it and leave it on my bedside table. Um, And uh, we were—I did this storytelling event maybe four years ago with um, Matt Fraction, um, where like I live in Portland, Oregon, and we were—it's sort of this live storytelling event where, um, much like the Moth, where you just get up and tell a story. and there's an audience, and I didn't know any of the other storytellers. And uh, Mark came with me, which my husband, which is unusual because he uh, he can kind of get all my stories at home. <laughs> He's heard them all before. He's not that interested. And but he, like he mm. decided like to come, which I noted at the time. Like that is interesting that Mark decided to come to this particular event, um, and like halfway through the event. Uh, he leaned over to me, and he was like, I want you to introduce me to Matt Fraction. I was like, really? Like, Mark, we are often, we find ourselves in the room with um, people of various, you know, fame levels, like, kind of a a crazy amount of times. And Mark never has any interest in that at all. Like, he has never asked me to introduce me to anyone. And he was like, I need you to introduce me to Matt Fraction. And so after the show, I... um, I would met Matt briefly in the green room. It was like, oh, like, and I introduced Mark. And I, we ended up hanging out for like an hour, Matt and Kelly Sue and Mark and I. And we just have been a couple friends ever since. And the thing about comical people, which I didn't really understand at the time, but once you know if, like one or two of them, you end up knowing like 30 or 40 of them because they travel in groups, um, I think for social comfort, <laughs> hmm. protection. And we just were kind of pulled into this community. And Portland has a very, very vibrant. Comic book community. Um, and, you know, like I love talking about narrative, um, just trying to kind of puzzle out how people tell stories. And I found myself having this conversation with all of these comic book people because comic book people love to talk about comics. <laughs> and yes, we uh, do. So that, that was where our Venn diagrams overlapped, right? With me talking about story and them talking about comics. And uh, I I just became very interested in kind of that puzzle of of cracking the narrative and and trying to figure out if there was a way for me to do that. Are you guys hearing this interference?
1: No, you're sounding fine to me.
2: Oh, good. Excellent. I'm getting a little static, but as long as you can't hear it,
1: that is fine.
2: So, yeah, I came up with this crazy idea um, that maybe I could write a comic. um, And I went right to the top and went right to Marvel. and somehow convince them through black magic to allow me to do that. That's awesome. So how did how, how did you actually
0: the, come to work with Marvel?
2: Um. So uh, Brian Michael Bendis is a good friend of ours. We met him okay. through Matt and Kelly Sue, and and they went. One of the things that uh, the Bendis' do is they host a dinner that is. Um, uh, sometimes weekly, depending on their schedules at their house, and they have this kind of um, almost like the Salvation Army (laughs) mission to feed the comics community in Portland, Oregon, Uh, and many of whom are very hungry, and they can count on this one square meal a week. Um, And we got invited somehow, like Matt and Kelly too invited us to come to this thing, and we came, and apparently didn't grow it, and so got on the list, and started coming every week, and so met all of these people through, through that, and when I came up with this crazy idea to write Mockingbird, um, I sent Dennis an email to let him know, you know, like how, how exciting it was and how he should let Marvel know right away that I had decided to do this. Um, and uh, he explained all the reasons why it was probably uh, lunacy and uh, I was still, like, utterly insistent that it was going to be great and that I should do it, and obviously Marvel was going to be thrilled to hear that I was interested <laughs> uh, and I just kept following up. I kept emailing him every couple of days, like, so oh, have you let Marvel know the great news? <laughs> so I, I've decided to write Mockingbird for them. <laughs> and I, just, I think I honestly just, like, wore them down eventually, and they were like, ah, okay, we'll do, you know, like, we'll do this one shot, and you, you, can, you can do this one shot, and we'll see how it goes.
1: And then that was that it's anniversary It's not a very exciting that story. <laughs> that, was in- well, no, that was no, 50th it is, anniversary. I, you know, when I went to my comic book store and I saw that there was a Mockingbird, uh, what was it, 50th anniversary special, the number? Yeah. Um, yeah. I knew, I just knew, like, this is Marvel testing to see if there's an audience for this comic. Yeah. So totally. I made it my business to buy it, and I enjoyed it a great deal. And that was sort of how they yeah. tested it to see if there was a market for it or to see if you could do it, yeah. and then... No, it's good for you,
2: like, for recognizing that, because they certainly do do that.
1: It sort of tests the market and see
2: what the numbers are, and then it kind of goes into an algorithm, um, and they see, you know, if there's a future for it. So it was cool. People, you know, people liked that comment. It did better than they thought it would, which is to say, like, they really thought it would tank, I think. (laughs) Honestly, <laughs> you know, like they're you know, the much mockingbird, <laughs> and uh, it did better than that. And so, you know, to them, it was it was an astounding success.
1: Now, what made you want to do mockingbird in particular of all the various Marvel heroes? I thought she had a story to tell, and she's been around for forty years and
2: um, has never had her own voice. I, like you know, even in the um, the Hawkeye and mockingbird uh, series, like. It's very much a Hawkeye story, and she's she, mm-hmm. she's she's always been there to support somebody else's story, and what happens to her inevitably supports someone else's story.
0: Uh, and I
2: really, like, when I first started thinking about writing a comic, I really wanted to explore point of view, um, which is something I think a lot about as a novelist. And so I really, I think I'm hyper aware of it when I use comics, and I, I and I think there's such a strong opportunity to you know, to kind of use narration and the tension between what is narrated and what is what is visualized and what is said um, to kind of tell story and character. And I wanted to do that. And so I was looking for a character where there was a, a strong point of view opportunity. And, like, she was such an obvious choice to me because um, so much has happened to her. <laughs> and yet we have no idea what's happened to her because we just know the stories of other characters talking about mm-hmm. what happened to her, which is always through their point of view. And I thought that was cool. And, you know, like she, when, when she is written well, she's really awesome. You know, so her best moment, where she's been written so well, and she's so uh, smart and funny, and she stands up to Clint and gives him, you know, like, she has such chemistry, and kind of, um, you know, she, she really kind of gives him gas in a way I really love. And I thought, if I yeah. could he, do that 40% as well as, um, as when it's done well then, then it's golden so well, well I know who I would voice- love to write and which, like Marvel oh. will never let me write is Sue Storm okay. oh wow <laughs> like the, yeah right I mean there is a character who's been so she's so important to the history of Marvel and to, to you know, female characters female heroes in, in comics and in superhero comics and yet I feel like she is often so maligned and neglected and, um, you know, like, again, serves other stories and not her own. I would love to, like, give her a voice to, like, write the Sue Storm story.
1: Yeah, I really liked Greg Pak's series of it, but it feels like having not having had her own book for a while is a huge oversight with a character who, like, people who don't read comics know who Storm is. That's a huge thing, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and... And I, and I love her. And I would say with Mockingbird, like, I came into this and I immediately felt her voice so thoroughly and had a, such a strong sense of her character in this. Um, it was it was like I was stepping into a fully formed – oh, I'm sorry, you said Sue Storm. I totally heard Storm. Yeah. You said Sue Storm? I know. It's okay. Oh, my God. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's even better because I'm blonde. actually completely – no, no. I'm actually completely <laughs> obsessed with the fact that it isn't a good Sue Storm comic. And we need, oh, my God, you would be the perfect person to write it. We need, like, a grown-ass woman to write a Sue Storm comic. Um, And people assume that because she's a mom, she has nothing interesting. And it's, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: okay, I could completely get sidetracked by talking about how much this needs to happen, but I will (laughs) will bookmark that. We will discuss this elsewhere. But um, but, (laughs) the point I was saying is that I felt like I was walking into a story where there was a fully formed character I was looking at, who I assumed had been written in that voice in other places, you know, and actually actually looks like mm-hmm. you really are a source of a lot of the characterization that really made her. And, and for myself, and I was talking with Emma Hubois, who's also a, a friend of the show and another critic. She w- we were just like, this is a comic that's written from the perspective of a grown-up woman, and a lot of mm-hmm. the comics right now that have female leads are definitely skewing younger, and this yeah. one is like for grown-ups. And I feel like, I imagine, like, people of all genders uh, can relate to a lot of the adulting sort of issues that come up. Her travails with the healthcare systems (laughs) and um, none none the least in relationships and all that. But uh, it was, like, really authentic to, like, the the voice of a grown woman in this comic, which I really loved. Mm -hmm. And her humor was fully formed. Um, Did you have, like, a headcanon of this is how she was supposed to be before you began writing it? Or did she sort of... Develop her voice as you began scripting it.
2: Well, I really wanted—I um, wanted her. You know, if I was going to do this, I have an 11-year-old daughter, right, who's a super comics nerd and a huge Marvel partisan. <laughs> um, and like, I wanted—I I wanted to write a female character who had confidence and swagger, um, because I agree. Like, you know, it's so important to have. Female characters, and we certainly have more female characters in comics, but you know many of whom are still written by by men, and many of whom do skew younger, um, even the ones written by women, because the, because I think rightly so there is attention being paid to the fact that the comics industry loses young girls, you know, like adolescent girls,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, uh, because there you know there's nothing really kind of for them, and they're trying to address that, which is terrific. Um, yeah, but I, because of that. um you know, I think in general, honestly, I think that female archetypes in stories, whether you're talking about TV or books or uh, comics, they tend to be um, kind of riddled with self-doubt. You know, like that is the archetype. It's, it's, it's exploring. Uh, it's, you know, clearly that resonates <laughs> with women or that, you know, and people in general, or it wouldn't be true, Um but there is this kind of like alley ness that is, we still haven't quite shaken where um female characters are uh, second guess themselves so much. And I really wanted I don't know, kinda of like a a I wanted to, a Tony Stark, you know, like I wanted somebody who, um could be wrong and flawed, you know, but still confident in their flaws <laughs> and it's uh-huh. in their kind of bull, bull-headed kind of movement through life. Um, so, you know, like if I was going to do this comic, I, that was that was the character I wanted to write with somebody um, who was strong in that way. Um, you know, not right, but um, confident
1: <laughs>
2: in, in the fact that they were right, even if they were wrong and confident in the way they moved through the world and uh, especially Bobby who like her whole history, her 40-year uh, history at Marvel, um, she is a character who, um, while well, she has moments where she's so cool and so funny and smart and badass, she, uh, like her stories always end with the rug getting pulled out from under her, where it, you know, it turns out that um, whatever like life she's living is a lie, and she's been hypnotized, at drugs, at raped, you know, whatever. She just crawls,
1: yeah. Yeah, right,
2: exactly. It's like God like I wanted her to like own the room and I wanted like if we were finally gonna get inside her head, I wanted her um to get to like to know more than we think that she knows, you know, from somebody looking on the outside. Um so for me there was it was no question that she was going to have that, I guess, um the adultness, that she was gonna be a grown ass woman. I mean there was no one else I wanted to write, and I have been offered since I started writing uh, Mockingbird by Marvel other other female characters um I've been offered several other titles that I have turned down because I feel like they um don't live up to that um particular goal that I have mm. and you know why kind of add to, why add to the discourse if I can't if I can't kind of you know, like as you, you say, like I'm moonlighting. My day job is writing thrillers, and um, I kind of only want to do the stories where I feel like I, there's something I can
1: add to the discussion. But so that's a good manifesto. I, you know, there, there's like in the in issue three. I don't want to do too many spoilers, otherwise, I suspect a lot of folks listening are kind of falling. Yeah, spoil. go ahead. You know, you have such like a thorough thesis around how women are circumscribed, you know, starting from their girlhood uh, in terms of our ability to achieve our goals and our dreams and how people, uh, you know, try to reduce female power. And it's so built into the narrative and it doesn't at all feel like you're being spoken at, which I think if I describe it, it would sound like, you're being spoken at, but you're you're really not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you know, I think that you know you have that in like sort of midway through your uh, puzzle box story arc, and it's sort of a, a, a it's a major thesis, I think, like for the book itself. And there's so many pieces of of visual humor throughout the book, which I actually should ask that as a separate question. But you know, you have everything captioned with like the news the news feed saying things like girls are hysterical what are early-onset psychos powers, attention-seeking tween, threatens hero newsman, and, like, the the way society reads girls is, like, literally written all over the page, all over these pages. Mm -hmm. Um,
2: Yeah, I mean, I had, with that issue three, I had a whole, (laughs) I mean, you know, this idea of this character, um, Rachel, the, you know, the, the tween girl whose color like, whose power is to absorb colors, and in my mind, like, literally absorb the comic. You know, that was the idea there, is that mm-hmm. she was, like, l- literally absorbing the comic. Um, I, you know, like, I, you should have seen the first draft of that script. <laughs> I, I think, you know, there is... Um, I, I'm so new to comics and to, in terms of writing comics, and I am still trying to figure out how to do it how to do it, you know, at least moderately well and um, I feel like each issue gets better and I feel like six through eight, frankly, are my favorites, the current arc that we're on. Um, you know, I've never written a comic before, so there was a lot to learn. Um, but I just feel like there's so much opportunity to um to talk about these things in, in comics and just kind of spend some time maybe deconstructing the, the you know, the art form itself, and, uh, and I, you know, that was my attempt with Issue 3, and I feel like, it, you know, like mm-hmm. there there is a lot wrong with Issue 3, um, I think it wraps oh. up far too quickly. <laughs> But just like yeah. narratively in terms of narrative p- pacing, but i like I'm so proud, I'm so proud of the fact that I worked the word "panton into a Marvel comic twice. Mhm, that's the record, and yeah, you know what it is really is. <laughs> and um you know, I love you know I love the fact that you know my daughter you know she's she can read that comic and feel so proud and show it to her friends and feel so proud and um. It's great. It, it's that whole kind of story of, you know, like we talk about diversity in comics, and what we're just talking about is points of view. Like just having like lots of people tell different stories, um, and there's such a value to that. And we're all interested in, you know, different people's experiences. And oh, I got so much kind of blowback from that issue from people who felt like uh, I had somehow made a statement that um, that was disrespectful of the history of women in comics in terms of, like, superheroes, like like Sue Storm. Like, so many people tweeted me, uh-huh. and were like, how can you say that, you know, there aren't female superheroes when Sue Storm has been around forever? And, um, and you know, like, and I think that people forget, like, so I'm telling Bobby's point of view, which is very similar to my own, which is the fact that, like, growing up as a girl in the 70s and 80s, it was very limited. You know, you could be... Um, you know, Wonder Woman or Princess Leia. <laughs> and, uh-huh. um, and Sue Storm, like, one of the reasons I would love to tell her story is that she has not been well-treated in terms of, the, like, yeah. mythology. She was the invisible girl until 1980. <laughs> you yeah. know? Um, but, you yeah. Know, it's, it's, you know, it's very, very, very interesting. And, uh, you know, like, I love... Um, just the mythology and being able to revisit it. I mean, that—that that is the reason to write Marvel comics, right? Is that there, there is this existing massive narrative, um, and to be able to to like go in and play with those characters and theoretically kind of pivot people's points of view about them is—it's huge. Uh, and I think there's a lot of
1: power in that.
2: Um, that is very exciting.
1: Well, I, you know, I you you work in such fun bits of Marvel canon, like you have extremis medical supply pens, you know, I hidden love that in the pen. bottom. Thank you for mentioning that. <laughs> oh God, I mean, you you know, everybody remembers like now, like Tony Stark reading a gonorrhea informational pamphlet in the background yeah. of issue one, and like, <laughs> did you write all of those visual jokes yourself, and just like pass them on oh, to yeah. the artist, and
0: and exactly. Marvel Editorial
1: was like, sure, we can make that joke. Um, yeah, no, wow. they were. There
2: was one, you know, like the only thing great. that changed with the with the Tony reading the Gonorrhea brochure, and like I wrote that thinking like, surely somebody will cut this, but it will be amusing to people who read it, you know, in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I had him commenting like he was he said he was supposed to say under his breath, "Not again." Oh, <laughs> and they were like, oh. ah, let me cut that. <laughs>
1: But to right. yeah, right. So it could <laughs> plausibly be that he's simply reading it because he's interested in the matter. That's hilarious. Right, sure. Right, it's
2: plausible deniability, which is fine. But,
1: you know, but there's so many jokes in here that, like, if you're someone who's actually dealt with the medical system, which if you're a grown-up woman, you probably have at some point because all of our problems yeah. are medicalized. Um, like, yeah. it's, it's very real and, like, those little pain charts that you have to rank write out the forms you have to fill out feeling like you're being studied um there's it's you know this is like a really fun suspenseful action story but like the there's there's really relatable adult identifiable moments throughout of it like that that have a real like attention to detail that makes them like funny but also mm-hmm. like kind of like ouch ouch kind of funny uh-huh. <laughs> Well, one of the things, uh, but, like, yeah, I, I as a, a comic book reader,
2: later. I read um, comics, like, according to my husband, too quickly. <laughs> like, I'll read a comic very quickly, and he'll always be like, what? like he'll be like three pages into the comic that he's reading. Um, and my daughter does this, too. Like, we both read through it very quickly, and then we go back and we reread it again and again and again um, and kind of go, like, find the extra layers and I really wanted there to be those layers for people who wanted to reread like, the, like I do so that you, know, you can go through and kind of get a, a top-line um, feel of the story just by reading you know, all of the dialogue. But then if you go through, you can find all of these little you know, visual jokes and you can find um, clues that lead to the larger puzzle box you know, with those first five issues. Um, and just a little yeah, little sort of teasers that hook up with other things so that the more you read it, the more
1: there is for you. hmm And I reread stuff in preparation for our episode, and, uh, you know, I absolutely noticed so many more layers, like the horse head guy, his very early Uh appearance in the Hellfire Club. Uh huh. Totally forgotten about that, (laughs) you know. Uh, Oh, you know, the the Hellfire Club in issue, too, like, is such a great selling point for this comic. Um, Can you talk a little bit about, like, how much you always wanted to do something in the Hellfire Club, or if that's a new yeah no, I, and I did.
2: <laughs> that was, um, you know, the kids like I. So I was fed comics, um, mm. by my cousin, my cousin Jason, who uh, gave me we we this family reunion in North Carolina, um, when I was a you know maybe in sixth grade, and until then, like I had read comics, but they'd always been kind of comics I could get on the like, rack that spun at the gas station or, um, you know, Ricky Rich comic, you know, that kind of thing. Um, uh-huh. And and then uh, Jason introduced me to the to the X-Men. Um, and he was very furious about it. Like he uh, had them all bagged and boarded. He brought them to a family reunion full of kids to, like, a beach town. <laughs> but he brought all his bagged and the comics. And he was like let, yeah. us, let us look at them and and then like you know, teach us how to like rebag them. Um and like I was just obsessed immediately and then he sent me a bunch of comics after that, uh, including like the Dark Phoenix saga and um yeah, like he sent me tons of like Teen Titans and Alpha Flight and X Men. Um and of course the X Men, like all that Hellfire Club stuff. Oh, my God. Like, I was obsessed with that. And it was so, I think, too, like, being, I was probably in sixth grade at that point, fifth, sixth, seventh grade. Um, And, you know, there's something very sexy about it, and and yet kind of complicated, you know, and I um, was also aware of the fact that, like, all the women we in these like tight corsets and underpants and like serving drinks <laughs> to all these men who all, many of whom were like misshapen and uh, fully dressed and I, like I immediately when we started talking about doing the Mockingbird series I thought I've got to have her go to the Hellfire Club and try to like do a reversal like I love the idea of um, her having to rescue Hunter from that situation and. It kind of the you know the gender reversals there, um, but also like I I think that comics can be sexy you know like I, I think that in terms of my relationship with comics certainly as an adolescent it was kind of one of the you know one of the great things about comics was that it was sort of served that kind of like adolescent lust you know um, and I so I wanted to kind of like visit that from a
1: female perspective. That's perfect and like. Yeah, absolutely. You know, talking about the Hellfire Club in the '80s, I feel like you'd appreciate this. Do you ever remember there was like, honest to God, a panel of White Queen Emma Frost quoting Camille Paglia in the in a oh, comic? No way. Yes, oh, really? this is a thing that actually happened. I believe it was written by. I Lee probably Simonson. would know the panel, but didn't get the quote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just I. I feel like I only recently. I'm, I'm sure that when I read it at the time, I didn't know because I was not that old. But um, but uh, but yeah, like I think that just sort of well, one like that's kind of the most in character thing that Emma Frost has ever said, is quoting Camille yeah. Paglia. Good God! But um, but yeah, like I think no, I and like, like the, whole thing the whole thing, the whole at, right? Club
2: thing, like yeah. we all knew yeah. like, what,
1: what was going on. Like it was so clear. Like this is a sex dungeon. <laughs>
2: <laughs> like, rich people, you know? And the fact that, you know, I love that, that Marvel has put that out in the world, and uh, the subtext was so clear. Um, it's, it's very interesting, like, writing, so Mockingbird is T-plus, and I right away was like, so, you know, what does that mean, you know? Can you, can you send me, like, there must be a style guide that explains, like, what that means, like, where I can't go and where I can go in terms of content. And there's hmm. not. It turns out they were like, you know, like, just do what you can. In the end. just write it, and um, and then we'll tell you.
1: <laughs> wow. Well, I'm glad you Don't got know, it right. It was perfect for that context of the story. It was really cheeky, a really fun issue. I feel like it was definitely something you could just hand someone who hadn't been following along, and they would get a kick out of it, regardless. And you got to make an excellent '80s joke that, like. Actually made me laugh out loud. Oh, so. good. No, I'm very I'm
2: proud, proud of that idea. Yeah.
1: yeah, and we yeah. Rosenberg, yeah. who's our colorist, did such an amazing
2: job. I thought with that, which was very tricky because it all takes place underground, you know, mm-hmm. and to be able to find the light in the like in the torches and in the in the headlamps, um, it was really beautiful. She did such a great job.
1: Well, you've had a very female creative team in general. I think all of your artists have been women, or am I, or am I mistaken?
2: All except number five, where uh, uh, I- Ibrahim did a uh, um, did one issue for us. But yeah, no, Kate is yeah, female and the um, who's Kate is my usual artist, and then Rochelle also is the colorist.
1: And art I, you know, I feel like this is. Katie. I, I think art was really perfect for the book and for the audience. Like I think a lot of generic house style art is does not serve its female characters very well and also mm-hmm. by the same token does not serve the female readership very well. Um, mm-hmm. But you have art that had like characters wearing realistic clothes that actual grown mm-hmm. women wear um, and like drawn looking their age, not looking like teenagers uh, and like that were aesthetically pleasing and sort of a, a, a pop, sort of a poppy aesthetic. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it was a really good fit for your audience as well as for your subject. I hope so. And that's something we talked about, you know, early on was just,
2: because um, yeah, the, the first art that we saw that Kate did, like I think she um, erred on the side of what she thought we wanted. And so like all of the nurses in that first issue were like, you know, 24 and adorable. <laughs> they all sort of looked the same. Um, mm-hmm. And we, we talked about the fact that they need, you know, we needed to show like, different body types and different, just different people. Um and he's made a real effort since then um, to do that, to incorporate different kinds of people, which is such a simple thing. You know, it's so simple on the art side. Um, and it makes such a difference. You know, it's so important that people be able to, like, find themselves in a comic or, you know, any kind of pop culture.
1: Mhm. hmm mm-hmm. I, I I Something we, we testify about a great deal great deal Um, but it also feels like there's a lot of like realistic interactions with like the medical and science like world you know in terms of like people's experiences of being in studies and being studied for their medical issues and uh, was that a theme that you like really wanted to play out or just something that you related to or did you do a lot of research around that well I'm a little bit
2: of a hypochondriac (laughs) Uh.
1: um
2: and, I'm like, I mostly, like, honestly just wanted – I was trying to think of a way to um, look at these, you know, the characters in their kind of off hours, you um, know, in a, in a way that uh, would be revealing in terms of character. And uh, I was – like, right away, like, the fact that um, Bobby had had this injection of uh, – Infinity, you know, formula and super soldier serum um, that Bendis gave her, you know, a year, a year ago, two years ago at this point, um, and that was never followed up on. Like, I knew I wanted to address that and mm-hmm. have something happen with that. And I thought, um, like, realistically, right? There would be they would be watching her. There would be some kind of medical follow up, and uh, and I thought that it would be it would be funny and interesting to see her in the situation. Um, where she, like, wanted to be able to interact with other people in the waiting room and then also um, had to submit to these tests, which to me kind of felt a little bit metaphorically like her whole 40-year history in the sense that she um, was kind of, you know, ha, ha, like living through this story that was being created around her, like in the sense that she had no control and had to do all of these tests, and yet, in fact, had much more going on and knew much more than the people around her did at the time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a hard situation to be in. Yeah. And it seems, I and don't that know, tension it seems, is all it over seems the place.
2: funny to, to think about like superheroes. Where do they go for their, you know, checkups? Where do they get their birth control pills filled? Um, where do they get their Prozac prescriptions? It seemed, like, obvious that there must be some sort of shield medical clinic, some sort of free clinic underground for superheroes. And then I went from there. Hmm.
1: Her relationship with Clint is something which is, like, a, almost, like, treated like, a, like an ongoing soap opera-ish joke throughout a lot of comics. And you actually, I think, have a, a really much more dedicated and female perspective take on it than any other books I've seen with that. Um, did you have like what coming in of how you wanted them to be interacting as a former couple yeah were like, any other work you were looking at
2: her relationship with Clint you know it's one of the kind of it's very interesting like because on one hand it's one of the coolest things about Bobby because like I think she's at her best historically when she's written when she's interacting with Clint you know, her best storylines are when she's interacting with Clint. It really kind of, like, lets her shine. And on the other hand, um, she is, like, known as Clint's ex-wife, right? That is the thing that defines her the most. Um, to this day, when I tell people that I write they I get this blank expression, and then I'm like, Hawkeye's ex-wife. And they'll be like, oh, right, her. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, yet, I, I, like, I really wanted to explore that relationship. And when I wrote the 50th anniversary one-shot, um, I actually wanted to do a story that had Bobby and Clint, and I was told that uh, I couldn't and that it needed to be Hunter because of the TV show. And um, because of that, like, so I started thinking about that, and I... I um started thinking about the fact that, like, I, I put Hunter in there, and I had, like, a gag where Bobby called him by the wrong name. She calls him Clint. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started thinking about how, like, to her, to Bobby, Hunter and Clint are kind of, you know, like, they're sort of interchangeable. Because <laughs> they are, like, literally the TV show, like, put Hunter in because they didn't want to tie up Clint, right, in terms of narratively because mm-hmm. he was in the movies and everything. <laughs> so they just put in yeah. Hunter to fill that role. And and, and then I started thinking about it like Fight Club, right? Where um, like her like they're the same person, Uh, and I and I had like fun with that, and that will come to a head um, in issue eight uh, of Mockingbird. Oh wow! Yeah, but um, so like I'm very like I loved the idea of looking at her relationship again from her point of view, her relationship with Clint. Um, and with Hunter, you know, who is kind of a facet of Clint, of that same guy. Um, but, like, I've I've, gone, I've grown much fonder of Hunter as the series has progressed because I feel like he's, you know, become his own individual a little bit. Like, he's, he, again, is all, it's like he's, all of the men are totally pulled in relationship to Bobby. They're all, like, through the lens of her experience. And so... Um, you know, that they they often are like just in their underwear for like no particular reason. And like again, like in real life they probably were clothed. But this is this is Bobby's story and I, I wanted to make sure to kind of reinforce that
1: with this. And in real life them. they were probably nude, if you ask me. So right, right. Or totally or they're high. nude. <laughs> yeah. Or was their Prince Albert. <laughs> um
2: but see like I you know, like it's her story. Um, it's not their story, and I, you know, people uh, um, like in uh, issue four where she rescues Clint from the uh, undersea laboratory, and he's just in little swim briefs and never, you know, never be, he's never shoots an arrow, he's never in costume, and um, and that's because again, like it's Bobby's story, you know, this is this is her version of events and, and her version of events, he's in tight little swim trunks and doesn't have a bow and arrow. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I actually think Brett, you you're the on to first something. to. Yeah, I think you were the first to say that you actually kind of got a directive due to the the television series, any of the live action stuff. We've, we've asked that creators a lot, and they're always like, "No, no, no two totally separate things, and one has nothing to do with the other." But it sounds like you had to use Hunter because of that. So, you know, were you told specifically about things for the live action, or was it just a, hey, no, focus on, on Hunter because of, you know, they're together on the TV show?
2: Yeah, no, like the second. It was, it was, um, okay. that they wanted, they didn't want to have her with Clint, they wanted to have her with Hunter, because it, the whole thing was to sort of tie in and play off of the TV show.
0: Did not at so, any point? Because I know up. there's. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was gonna say, well, I know they were supposed to do this. They were, well, they're not supposed to. They were working on a spinoff at all. Like, were you talked to ab- about that at all?
2: No, like they were. I was talked to in the sense that um, they were very. I, I, you know, honestly, I think it was one of the reasons why they greenlit the Mockingbird on going in the first place is because yeah. that was in development, and so yes, it, it supports <laughs> um, the the machine. You know, like it's a way to kind of recap mm-hmm. all of these people. It's free advertising. Um, for the comic. So I think it definitely helped to get the ongoing green light. Um, and, you know, and they said that, you know, the people who were making the TV show were were big fans of it and, you know, found it, you know, helpful. Um, but not helpful enough, apparently, because it didn't get picked up.
0: <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah, we because yeah. we've wondered about that a, a bunch of, like, as writers, do you think about that? You know, do they talk to you about that? And it seems generally like people are either like, nope, I'm totally separate and, and uh, have nothing to do with it. Or, you know, every once in a while you get someone to be like, well, you know, it's on my mind, but I'm not paying attention to it. I think you might be the first to be like, no, 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 they, they, someone brought this up. So it's very interesting. Because yeah. I figured what the no, show, and I was, when the comic was announced not, because like of that happened. was... yeah.
2: I, I probably just didn't get the directive not to talk about it in time, and I, so I did. And no, and then it kind of blew up online, and I was like, like, yeah, no, it's true. Like, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty obvious. Really, like, you you like, need to you use know. Hunter and not Clint. And then I was able to bring in Clint, and I felt like it kind of it worked from my point of view. Like, I was able to find a story, and it kind of became even more interesting to have the kind of love triangle Um such as it is, you know, considering the fact that they might be the same guy. Um, but, you, you know, in general, like, Marvel is very interesting in terms of what they share and what they don't share. Um, I had pitched, um, I was still, like, uh, for, like, number six, my um, kind of pitch for the arc involved Clint and and you know so a couple of months ago they my editor was like oh you know about that actually you know Quince a little sort of in some trouble <laughs> so he's not really available for that story arc and mm-hmm. and that's when they sent me and when they like when they let you know um all the top secret stuff you get a special invitation to the like special like top secret like server the Marvel server <laughs> and it's just like a limited like 24 hours where you can like look in and see All this, like like, everything, kind of in development, Um, and so I was able to go in and like look at Venice's outline for like Civil War two, which sucks, frankly, because I'm a comics fan and it totally spoiled the whole thing for me. (laughs) And um, and then like see issues in progress, um, and then I was like, "Well, shit!" Like, okay, so spoiler alert: like Hawkeye right kills kills Banner. And, you know, my reaction to that as a writer of Mockingbird was, was like, well, you know, she has to respond to this. Like, they had not thought to bring her into that at all. Um, and I felt like she's his ex-wife. And, you know, the whole reason they broke up in terms of, like, canon is the fact that, you know, he he divorced her because he felt like she killed a guy. Um, and now here he was doing the same thing, you know, and claiming it was justifiable. And I, like, I was immediately like, okay, you know, I have to rethink this entire arc to somehow respond to that. And, um, you know, I feel like to not respond to it would have been ludicrous.
1: Um, Mm. And that that was
2: fun. Like, it was fun to be able to kind of revisit the whole Phantom Rider thing, which is part of her backstory and part of Hawkeye's. Um, And, I had always planned to do that, to kind of. Frankly, it was one of the more kind of batshit crazy aspects of her backstory. Um, I'd always wanted to revisit it and kind of have her own it a little bit, and um, I, you know, like change the narrative, change the story a little bit. So it gave me an
1: opportunity, which was cool. Wow, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I hadn't really those thoughts put together, but I guess I'm not as inwoven into her canon of her life in that way. Um, mm-hmm. but it's interesting too like you really put the stories into some pretty visually interesting settings. Um, and you know, I people don't always assume that a first time writer for a comics are going to think about like where are good places to place these stories and you have people in space and you have a cruise ship of geek con, good God, that's a trip. I'm, um, and the yeah, undersea pieces and like you, you are actually taking the readers to a lot of fun spaces. Like while you're also like working out her personal medical, sociological <laughs> romantic history, um, on the paper. Is there anywhere you can tell us that she's going to go that we haven't seen yet that you can maybe give our listeners a hint on? Well, the next
2: three issues, so number six is out, so seven and eight. That whole arc is on the North Cruise. But she's also sailing through the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> oh, yes. So yes. Things get a little crazy. Um, and that's just me, you know, writing as a fan. It's it's just like I I mean, I love I knew that, you know, I, I had sort of, li- you know, theoretically limited theories to kind of visit all the places I wanted to visit and, you know, going to like a sex dungeon and an undersea lab. Like, they're things you just tick off your bucket list, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was thrilled to be able to do you that. Know, I wanted to, you know, like go to as many of those places as, as I could.
1: Um, and I knew that it would be fun for Kate to be able to draw them. So how did you plot out the puzzle box? I, I'm kind of having a a hard time explaining what that is to listeners, but if you could just like detail a little bit what that meant in the story and, and how you wrote around that mystery, I think could be interesting for folks.
2: Yeah. So it's like more of a puzzle sphere, I decided because <laughs> um, it's circular. So it um, issue one opened um, with her at a medical appointment and um Kind of chaos uh, occurring with like the zombies showing up, and then issue two um, goes back so its like the first uh, five issues are basically like four medical appointments, um, but in a sort of out of time. So we see the, the the last medical appointment first and then we go back in time to an earlier medical appointment and then we see um, these various kind of medical like what's in between the medical appointments. So let let me start over, because that was totally poorly explained. The first issue is the four medical appointments. And then the subsequent four issues are what take place between those medical appointments. So we see her in the first issue showing up in, like, different costumes um, in the the waiting room and then having a medical appointment. And there are clearly these gaps in time and experience, but we don't know what has happened. And then the subsequent issues fill in. And my goal with those was that they could be read out of order and that um theoretically they should be read out of order and that every order one read them in would reveal some new information about the plot. So it was frankly highly ambitious.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Comic book arc. And I I can't quite believe they let me do it. Um but it was fun. It was really fun to do. Uh and you know, I have to tip my hat to um to Kate, to the artist and to Rochelle, like all everybody to keep track of like all of these various um kind of moving targets to make that work. Uh and I think it does. You know, I, I I don't know if people are kind of experiencing it quite the way that I'd imagine, but um I think that, you know, if you have those books and you read them in different orders, each like order you read them in will will reveal more of the story. And, again, that—that that is me trying to pan to myself <laughs> and to the way that I read comics, which is, again, very layered. It is very lasagna um, and trying to kind <laughs> of create a story that one could read over and over again and find something new in.
0: So yeah, uh, I actually have a... I, I mean, instruction.
1: Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead.
0: No, no, no. Go ahead. I can ask my question after.
1: I've been talking a lot. Go for it.
0: Oh, okay. So I've got a really geeky question about uh, issue six. I'm, I'm assuming it's on a Joko cruise that they're on. Um, yeah. So in the in the beginning, you mentioned Keith Baker, which is a, kind of a obscure reference. Um, <laughs> on the first one, like I I just had one. I have to ask about the Joko cruise because you specifically mentioned Palm Storm, and then the Keith Baker part. Um, and for those who don't know, he's a game designer. Uh, uh, created the Eberron setting for D anD D. Yeah, I'm not going to rant too and much on that one. But not only, yeah.
2: not only, and I, I appreciate the geek out, um He's also, if you look in the comic, he's in the comic. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay, visually, now I gotta go he,
2: is, he is in the comic as our and Storm, as our John Roderick, um, as are the Double Clicks There's like lots of Easter eggs for the for the nerd cruise people
0: yeah i saw the paul and storm that one i can pick out that that one i definitely right right
2: right. um so um let me see i'm leaping through
0: i'm ha- assuming he's the one right
2: here
0: let us see i'm assuming he's the dm maybe no
2: no no that's my husband actually
0: oh okay <laughs> my husband mark my
2: aunt so if you keep going so there's like you see the DM and then the game room and then you flip the page and you see the horse head guy raising his hands and the double clicks are down below and then you go to the yep. next panel. Keith is with the hat. You can always see him with the hat and he's in repeatedly um, in this in this comic with mm-hmm. the hat. That's John Roberts to his left and then um, the ninjas in the elevator also are all of those people you can recognize Keith because of his hat. Um, and they will become more significant in the next two issues. They all have, like, huge <laughs> kind of plot moments. <laughs> At this point, I'm really okay. just trying to entertain myself, is what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I I'm love feeling like this script. is
0: a, a Gen Con concert.
1: Yeah, kind of, kind of. I mean, like, you have Etsy geek product reseller, you know, sellers, like, in the comic, where I was, like, I totally recognize those exact kind of vendors from Etsy. Uh It's definitely Uh a fans comic. definitely a fans comic. But I also think it's completely penetrable to, like, new comic readers because you have such a fun way of introducing background context, you know, in her medical appointments and things like that. But Mm -hmm. it's also not completely dependent on that. Have you heard from any folks for whom this was... Like their first Marvel comic, by any chance? Like maybe they just no. You know, show? Like,
2: honestly, yeah. I mean, it, not that they've said so specifically, but the people who love it really, really love it, and they're you know like people
1: who um,
2: are, are huge fans of it. Um, which you know, it's so great and honestly um, surprising because again, I'm new at this. Um, but, you yeah, we all, work, like, we work really hard,
0: <laughs> really,
2: really hard to kind of make this the best comic it can be and to kind of, um, again, like, create as much depth and interest as we can with the characters. Uh, and as much kind of, you know, geekery in the mm-hmm. moment, um, but also in terms of canon, you know, like trying to reference, you know, just things that we love, Um there's a lot in every book for people who are looking for it, and um, and yet yeah, I think that they kind of sail on their own as well, which I think is is great. And you know, if nothing else, I'm so pleased at the number of Corgis that I have bought into the
1: Marvel universe. Yeah, it's like I've been sending it to my Corgi friends. I have I have many Corgi friends. <laughs> I'm counting on that.
2: I think the corgi people are going to save this <laughs> comic.
1: No, it's. I mean, but like, you know, it's like, yeah, corgis are a thing. And if in and, in mm-hmm. there, did you come up with that four lamps, like based on the Queen thing, or was that from the show? Because I don't know shit about the TV show.
2: Oh yeah, no, no, like that's all. That's all. Uh. Yeah, I, love like, it. I have a corgi. I have a corgi,
1: so I'm a corgi enthusiast right
2: off the bat. Um But, yeah, like, you know, obviously I was looking for things um, that made sense. And, like, I'd love to play play on his his Englishness. Um, And it just seemed so ideal that he would end up with a corgi. And then the the body, therefore,
1: would end up with a corgi because he he travels a lot for work. (laughs) Yes. I I enjoyed our joint custody arrangements with, like, shared notes about proper dog care. (laughs) (laughs) true, (laughs) True for a lot of couples in the real world. So true. Well, I know we only have you for another minute, so I have one reference question to ask you real quick. So apparently yeah. the Wi-Fi password on the cruise ship is I-V-M-L-M-J-W-F-T, yeah. and I haven't figured out what that's a reference to yet.
2: Really? You haven't? No. Uh, okay. No. Okay. This is Should I basic, Brett? Brett, co- you know? basic code breaking, okay? Oops. Okay. One of the things when you're trying to break a code... Is to think about like the alphabet, right? Mm-hmm. And think about moving
1: the letter one forward. Ah, I assumed it was an acronym <laughs> for something really catchy that I hadn't figured out. <laughs> no, 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 it did no, not no, even no. occur to me. It's,
2: it's just a code. Code. A code. Oh, yeah.
1: now I'm going to translate yeah. it. So, like, yeah,
2: later. Yeah, just try to move, and maybe your listeners will too. Just like move each letter one forward and see what you end up
1: with you don't have to do it now you definitely are <laughs> delivering value to the reader on all fronts at this point <laughs> right? I, I, yeah. hours of entertainment well, I, yeah. indeed <laughs> I mean and possible retail opportunities for people to produce actual Natarushka dolls which I can't yeah. believe you don't exist right,
2: right. I know
1: how are there not Natasha Nadryushka dolls to be purchased? It's like begging to be made.
2: And the yeah. I'm not, the Corgi Butts t-shirt also.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> lot it's of like merch sort of like out there. there.
1: It's like and anything with Netflix, you think of Squirrel Girl too. But, like, I yeah, this is, you know, you guys, this is like one of my favorite comics at Marvel by far, by far. You know, I sent the yoga poses to one of my yoga friends who, like, doesn't even know comics because I – they're very because she's like, yeah, those are relatable yoga poses. Um, mm-hmm. I just think you have something really special on your hands, and I hope people will continue to check it out or check it out if they haven't yet. Is the trade paperback for the first uh, storyline? Yeah, out it right is coming now?
2: out. It's coming out in October.
1: Very soon.
2: Yeah, but, right, right. The trade, the right, trade volume one, and then there'll be a volume two of the next three issues that comes out. You know, at some point after that.
1: Great, thank you. But yeah, people should definitely be getting it monthly if they can. But for folks who missed it, that's the way to go. Um, so when we wrap up, we'd love to hear what. Where else should our listeners be looking for your stuff, and where can they find you online?
2: Okay, um, online, I'm at all the, you know,
1: some of the places, like six of the places. On the
2: Facebook, um, I think I'm Chelsea Kane 96, and then on the Twitter, just Chelsea Kane. On the Instagram, Chelsea Kane XP. Um, and uh, I have a website, com, and I write thrillers, and they're available for purchase in all the places one purchases, that kind of thing. And there's a bunch of them, <laughs> seven or eight, I don't know, and some other things as well. Um, humor, illustrated books, that kind of thing. And then uh, the next um, Mockingbird comes out pretty soon, and then one after that, et cetera. And uh, you mentioned the Jessica Jones story in Civil War II. Um uh-huh. Choosing Sides, which I'm very excited about. Uh, I really, really, like I'm such a fan of Alias. Um, That is is a a book that I just love so much and was so important to me as a comic book reader. It really kind of brought me back into comics. Um, So I was thrilled to have the opportunity to write a Deska Jones uh, story, and I'm very pleased with it. And that comes out September 22nd, I believe, give or take.
1: Thankfully, yeah, we've been needing some new Jessica Jones-centered stories for a long time. Yeah. Like, it's just I a know, really, right? Real She's abstinence. the best character. She's so great. I think you're the first woman to be writing her in a lead. Yeah, I think like I am, too. So, looking forward to getting that take on it. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Chelsea. And I hope you'll have the opportunity to have you back soon, especially if you get to write Sue Storm. Oh, my God, I need this. So bad. I know, right? Let's start on so,
2: the hashtag. Okay. <laughs> no, this is great. You know what? That our flu I'm amazed. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I actually do that, so that, that'll that's the thing. We'll follow up with you on that. I'll, I'll get it going. Okay.
0: Okay. Cool. All cool.
1: right, my friends, thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Thanks for coming. Good night.
1: Bye. Yep. Bye. Bye.
0: Well, okay. Yeah, well, just, thanks
1: to our listeners for joining us early, uh for the early.
0: Podcast. Yeah. So I looked it up. Mockingbird Volume 1 is out October 25th, and I am tweeting out a link that you should go and pre-order it. You have no excuse.
1: Pre-orders matter, guys.
0: Exactly. Yes, they do. That's Mockingbird how we
1: keep making sure that good comics get published is we have to order them before they're even put together in order to demonstrate to our overlords that there is a market for them. And then <laughs> I'm butchering it, Brett. You're much better at this than me.
0: Eh, I'll probably have a rant about it tomorrow. Uh. Okay. <laughs> Can you explain uh, so, yeah, to our listeners
1: how to pre-order Mockingbird real quick?
0: Sure. So uh, the easiest way, if you know where your local comic shop is, you can just go to your comic shop and talk to the person that works there. And if it is a good comic shop, they will pre-order it for you. Um, you could also go to, I believe it's uh create an account and it will help you find a local shop and you can actually pre-order comics through that. Uh, just go and search for act- in October releases and find Mockingbird. Um, or I'm about to uh, tweet out a link to Amazon and you can go do it there. It's really important uh, comic pop- publishers look at pre-order numbers to really figure out uh, how things are doing because pre-orders is how a lot of stores uh, gauge how things are going to sell. So um, go and make sure you pre-order because uh, it is a pretty key metric when determining what is going to get made and what's not.
1: And you guys like good comics, right? Okay, make it happen. <laughs> so <laughs> yep,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so the, the trade will be out on October 25th. So uh, you've got some time, but you should go and definitely pre-order it uh and it's worthwhile it's one of those series that there is a lot to it and i totally agree with what chelsea was saying what you're saying is you can go and read it over and over and over again and not pick up on everything that's in there um and i still we're gonna have to have her back because i need to ask her about the cutout figures in the back
1: oh yeah those are good I i forgot to ask Oh. You'll see.
0: if you, When you buy the comics, you'll see. It's very interactive. It's the best way I can put it. Um, well, yeah,
1: the cutoffs yeah. are great. I, I, well, thank you guys for joining us. Do we know what's coming back next week? Next week, next week? I don't know who's joining us next week. But the no, week we after need to that, determine that. Yes, but what's the week the after that, week after on the 26th, Jackson Lansing that. and Marcus Toe and the team from Joyride yes. are joining us.
0: Yes, if yes, yes.
1: Some so. notice, to check out Joyride and Trade Paperback published by Boom Studios. Yeah,
0: Joyride. Jo I think the Trade Paperback's out this week, maybe? Yeah, I have a- to look for some reason. Yeah, and then I believe also mm-hmm. Boom is being very smart, and it's not just Trade that's out, but like the next issue is out at the same time. So you can get the first you know, five issues. Yeah, it's like smart marketing. I know, totally crazy. Hopefully it's right no. and I'm not just
1: But not no, just Boom is good at marketing, so that that's not too surprising. So that's great, that's smart. And yeah, like seriously Joyride caught me off guard. So much fun. Did not really have any expectations about it in the slightest. Yeah. Um, nice too like, like, I really did. And it's lots of fun. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well thank you guys for joining us. Uh, you can find me yeah. on Twitter A N A underscore Brooklyn. And on Tumblr, E-L-A-N-A Brooklyn. And at Graphic Policy.
0: Yes, you can catch us at GraphicPolicy.com. And, of course, we're on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all at Graphic Policy. Keeping it nice and consistent. Uh, I'm trying to think what we've got on tap this week. There's a bunch of interviews from uh, Baltimore that still are getting posted to the site. And this coming weekend, uh, I'll be at Small Press Expo uh, tweeting up and stepping photos from uh, from that show, so, so hopefully some cool things will come out of that. Um, for those that don't know, are in the D.C. area. Uh, SPX is I'm going to say like the preeminent indie comic uh, convention, and you've got no excuse since you go check it out because it's beyond awesome. So uh, that takes place uh-huh. this weekend, and the episode will be up on iTunes and. Um, uh sketcher stitcher stitcher um stitcher. like an hour or so stitcher yes, an hour or so after this uh show wraps up and then it will be uploaded to SoundCloud if you like listening there tomorrow, so you'll be able to go and uh uh take it with you and listen to you listen to it on demand if you came in late uh want to share it or listen uh yeah yeah listen it again. So, as always, thank you for listening. Much appreciated. We'll be back next week. And until next time, I'm Brett. I'm Ilana. And keep it geeky.